welcome to the Fiscal Fitness Podcast, where personal finance is about the person, not the numbers, and budget isn't a four-letter word anymore. Here is your co-host and certified professional financial coach, Kelsa Dickey. Hey everyone, it's Coach Kelsa here, and I am here with my better half. Hey, it's Michael. How we doing? <laughs> Happy quarantine for those of you who are listening in real time. <laughs> yeah. um, we are going to be talking today about our journey of adoption through foster care. We're going to talk about how we have prepared for it, maybe the thought process, and also the financial impact and all of the money aspects of that process. Mm-hmm. Um, and why are we doing this? Let's see. I would say reason number one is because people have asked us for it. Yeah. <laughs> you know, people have asked a lot about wanting to know the numbers behind it and wanting to hear more about why we decided to do it. So we'll definitely share some of that. Uh, I think it's normal too to only hear horror stories of adoption, you know, like yeah. the ones where, God forbid the parent comes back and says that they changed their mind or any number of things. And I don't know. Our story is a good one. And yeah, it is. Do you Have you had clients that have had been budgeting for adoption? Mm-hmm. There... Yeah. We've had, I've had clients who have budgeted for private adoption and then also a number of clients who are foster parents mm-hmm. or adopt through foster care. Um, so this episode is going to be about adopting through foster care specifically and kind of our journey since that's what we did I think we can speak to that firsthand oh for sure so um yeah and there's you know you just read about the horror stories I think because they're more dramatic uh sorry that was me clicking my pen if you guys heard that um, right in sorry, front of the microphone right in front of the microphone Michael was just gave me the evil eye look um so I think it's normal to hear the dramatic stories, the horror stories, and I think the ones that are just really normal and sort of smooth and seamless, which ours was, you don't hear about all that often. So mm-hmm. I want to share that story. And then number three and last, I would say, is people oftentimes don't talk about the financial aspects of this and the good and the bad. Mm-hmm. So we're going to share all of that as sure. well. And I remember that this is, you know, obviously we live in Arizona, mm-hmm. so adoption is state to state, so some things are going to be different, but we think that overall the process is fairly similar anyways mm-hmm. as far as what you can expect. And um, there, you know, there's ends of the spectrum as far as what the, how much you're going to have to pay and if anything and what the state provides and all that kind of stuff. So just keep that in mind. Yeah. So why did we decide to adapt, honey? Uh, you know, I, well, per, for me personally, um, it's just, I don't know why there's never been any real reason, but I've always just really liked the idea of adopting and um, providing a loving family to a child that, uh, you know, may not have had that opportunity. So it's just something that I've always thought about. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we had Carmen when you were, how 30, old were we? 35. 34, 34, 35, 34, something like that. 34. And, um... There were not necessarily complications, but we never knew the chance uh, of having another child because of some stuff that happened in delivery. So, um, you know, it's just kind of like, well, let's just do that for our next Mm -hmm. kid because we knew we wanted more. So it just came to that point in time where we were ready. Yeah, I remember on our very first date in college, you said that this was something you wanted to do. Mm -hmm. And so I think I always knew it was in our cards as a consideration, oh, for you know, sure. 
And I absolutely think that if I would have been like, no, I don't want to do that, you would have been supportive and all that. But I do think it was something that we always knew we might consider it or potentially go down that path. And then having Carmen at 34, you know, I wasn't getting any younger sort of thing. And I felt like I sort of had my own child. I did that process. I did that journey. I can say that I did. Felt very lucky, but also didn't feel like some women that like I needed to have my Mm. own child. And so, you know, we had that and I was like, well, let's just consider this. I would say the conversation was a little overwhelming because there's so much that you don't know at the start of it. Oh, yeah. And there are so many different avenues that you can go down. And even along that path, there's so many unknowns that it's Mm -hmm. really hard, especially for a planner like me, to know what you're getting into So one thing that we did was we just told ourselves we would take it one step at a time and we could change our mind at any time in that process. Mm -hmm. So we're going to talk about all those steps of the process that we went through. But for you guys listening, one thing that Michael and I did really early on was let's just take one step at a time. And after every step, let's have a conversation, reassess, make sure we're both on the same page with this before we then take the next step and that sort of thing. Um, And we definitely did that. I remember some of those classes we took and we would just, some of them were really emotional and really hard to think about the, uh, let's see, how do I say this? The the suffering or the pain that some children go through. And, Mm -hmm. you know, I think you question, like, am I really cut out for this? Am I really able to do this? And just those conversations that you have to have along that way. And we just kept checking in with each other and deciding, okay, yes, we're ready to take one more step. And uh, now we have our son, Alex, which is great. So um, let's talk about the process. Sure. and really quickly about the why, back to that, just really quickly, I we ended up taking a class with a bunch of other couples, you know, mm-hmm. and everyone's why was different. Yeah, You know, so we were one of the only people in the class that had a biological daughter mm-hmm. already. And so some of the people in the class couldn't conceive on their own or naturally. And so that was why they wanted to adopt. Um, some people had, you know, children from a prior marriage, but they maybe couldn't have children in their current marriage. And so that's why they wanted to adopt. Some people um, just wanted to foster or adopt and they were single, you know? So I I just want to say that, that everyone's reason in the class was different. Same-sex couples. Mm -hmm. Uh, Yeah, there's just a lot of different reasons and all equally powerful. Yes, you know exactly, exactly. it, It was cool to hear that. I think so too, yeah. I think about some of the the people that were like single and I think, God, like I, what a brave and courageous thing. So, (laughs) um, okay. So the process definitely overwhelming on the front end because there are so many unknowns. So we're going to share our process in Arizona. Uh, I'll also share how I know that's a little different right now, just because they did change it, you know, right after we went through the classes Mm -hmm. and that kind of thing, but just small tweaks. And if anything, hopefully, no matter what state you're in, this just gives you some questions to ask mm-hmm. or an idea of uh, maybe what might be coming so you are ready for it. Yeah. Let, let me say that we were, there. there's like, like you said, there's private adoption, mm-hmm. especially for uh, within the, the United States and outside, you know, other countries. Uh, and that was th- really popular when I was, uh, do, do you have anybody that adopted from outside the country? In your, when you were growing up? I don't remember any of those. So either 
it didn't happen or it did happen and I just wasn't aware of it or didn't yeah. think much of it. Yeah, you know, your family circle. Everything. Oh, definitely not within yeah. my family. Yeah, no. There, well, there were, you know, 80s and 90s, there was a lot of people in my small town in Michigan that had adopted from usually China, I believe, is where they were, you know, uh, they were coming from. But mm. what they told us in in our class that, you know, that I think that's what everybody thinks of. Mm-hmm. Adoption is the most the popular way is from outside the country. Mm. Um, and what they said is that's not as popular or even available anymore because mm. I think countries are starting to change and they want their babies to stay in the country and they're not having limitations on how many kids you can have anymore. Mm. So um, it's not as popular or likely and probably way more expensive nowadays to adopt privately from out of the country. So I just want to say that that was, I don't think we ever actually considered that at all. It was right. like, Mm-mm. hey, would you want to adopt from outside the country or from foster care system in Arizona? And we went right to foster. Yes, exactly. Um, so I, like I said, we we decided we would just take it one step at a time. So mm-hmm. what I'm about to explain to you, we did not know all of these moving pieces before we started. Right. It was, we can obviously recap them very easily now, but... Going into it, it was just one step at a time. So first thing is, in Arizona, there's an introductory class you can take. It's free. Um, A lot of agencies hold them. So you want to find an agency and uh, sign up to attend their free introductory class. And it's informational. Um, There were two women that taught the class, if you remember. Mm -hmm. One was the director of the agency, who we loved. Yep. And the other one, I don't remember what her title remember. was, but yeah. she, and she was fine. It was yeah. just, we really liked how brutally honest yes. <laughs> the director was. Yeah. Um, and I think, it, I want to say it was two hours or 90 minutes or something. Yeah. Very informational, kind of educate you. You're able to ask questions. Q&A, lots of Q&A time. Lots of Q&A time, which we, that was just really insightful, really helpful. And they were the ones that said, just take it one step at a time. You can back out at any time, you know, that kind of thing. And we really appreciated that. Yeah. So choosing an agency, we chose uh, the agency that we used because of clients and friends of ours who would also use this agency with really great success, very positive feedback on them. But if it wasn't for that, what I would look for is an agency that demonstrates support in three different areas, pre-adoption support. So making sure that you're emotionally ready, that you're mentally prepared for what to expect, that they are accessible to answer questions. And like that cutthroat honesty a little bit is what I always appreciate and respect. And that was something that we were looking for. Like don't sugarcoat this, you know, I want to know everything. So that's the first one during the, um, process where you're waiting to adopt or you're in the adoption process, I think look for an agency in, this is hard to verify, but that is well-respected within the court system with DCS, you know, Department of Child Services and all that kind of stuff, because I know that ours was, and I definitely think that that helped a lot. I think they were the first to get a call if a child was available and that kind of thing, because they were so Mm well-respected. And one of the things that I believe made our agency well-respected was that they actually always put the child first. Mm -hmm. They didn't put their adoptive parents first. So what I mean by that is if a child came up for adoption and you were sort of on the short list as a potential adoptive parent, our agency, your specialist who you were assigned, 
if they actually didn't think you were the best fit, they would say that. They would tell the DCS worker that because they always wanted to do what was right by the child. And I think that that was what set them apart maybe from other agencies who maybe just wanted to get their parents a child, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, And ours wanted parents to be matched, but they wanted it to be matched long term. Mm -hmm. There is... Um, and then the third phase is after the adoption. So do you have support? Do they have parenting classes? Do they have social events that you can attend be- with other adoptive parents and the children so that, you know, your child learns that they're not alone in yeah. the world and that they're not the only one adopted sort of thing. So yeah. those are the three things. Um, there is a, uh, a number that agencies track, which is the disruption mm-hmm. number, right? Do you want to talk about that a little bit? Yeah, disruption is basically when an adoption actually happens and the for some reason it basically doesn't work out. It's almost like an adoption divorce type mm-hmm. of a thing where they the child leaves, they're broken from that brand new family that they had and it could be within weeks or months or uh, years potentially mm-hmm. that it could happen, but then they get back into the system and those children are, you know, that get back into the system after you know, I, I, I just can't even imagine the loss, oh, oh the rejection gosh. that they feel. The I, I mean, they, they are just set up for failure for the rest of their lives, unfortunately. Right. So a disruption number is something that agencies do track. And so I would absolutely ask them, and they may use a different word in your state. Ours is disruption in Arizona, is ask them, like, what is their disruption percentage? It's You'll never have an agency that has zero, yeah. I think. Um, but I think the idea is that post-adoption support is there to essentially avoid disruption, you know, provide as much support, as much therapy, as much guidance and counseling and all of that as possible to make it so that that family stays a forever family mm-hmm. and doesn't, when it, the going gets tough, cause let's be real, parenting is hard, whether it's a foster child or right. a biological child, yeah. um, that you don't just want to throw your hands up and like give a child back, right. essentially. So I would inquire about a disruption mm-hmm. rate if you can. Um, so you pick an agency and then do the informational session. Here in Arizona, if you decide to move forward from there, you attend a series of classes. I want to say there was like an intake form or something that we filled out, like a very brief questionnaire on the front end of that, but I, to sign up for those classes, yeah, yeah, there but was nothing like type. intense. No. It wasn't like at that point you're not doing background checks and credit checks and fingerprinting and all of that. No. It was an application. Yeah. Um, and then that essentially got you into the classes. Our classes here in Arizona were 13 weeks at the time. And I want to say they were like, Three hours or four hours long? It was like three hours. Three yeah, hours was, from like 6 to 9 p.m. or yeah. 7 to 10 p.m. or something once a week, right? Yeah, it was it was not fun. It was not fun. <laughs> and it was, we had to drive. Yeah, pretty far. 20, 25 minutes, 25 miles at least. Yeah. Just to... In two downtown, Phoenix, rush yeah. hour, yeah, all that to get there in time. I remember that. Yeah. And we had to get a sitter for Carmen and it was, it was a commitment, but... That's a good thing because if you, they they want people that are committed, right? And I think that's it's probably partly by design on their part because sure. they want the people that are committed. They don't want the you know haven't been the creeps yeah. that are there for the wrong reasons. Are the people there for their that are there for the wrong reasons? Period. Yes, exactly. So you're there with a bunch of other couples um, or or individuals, I should say. Mm-hmm. Um, And which is great because you really get to know each other well during that and everyone's coming from a different perspective or different background and you get to hear all the different reasons, which is, I think, a beautiful thing. Yeah. Um, 
And it's pretty emotional. I mean, it is meant to prepare you for what to expect as best as possible. And I mean, there were less, I I think there were some lessons where in the drive ride ride home, I don't think you and I said a single word to each other because it was just so like emotional and we're processing it and we're digesting it and we're like, right? Yeah. And they really, what I think the bigger takeaways that I had was that they really want it's all child-based. It's all really, let's talk about what the what's happening to a child, and it's not, like, such a happy process for them yes. uh, most of the time. It's not a happy process, but it's a happy and amazing process for us. But imagine what they've gone through for the past months or potentially years, you know, um, that they're getting adopted, but they actually maybe really like their mom and dad yeah and it's just some poor decisions and they want to be with them but they just can't anymore so that was the big takeaway for me that it's about the kids absolutely I mean I think before that I would say what I envisioned is a child comes into your home and you're like celebrating right and you're happy and you're like hi oh my gosh you know or something I don't know but like massive smiles on your face and it's a joyful day and like you were saying that is how we feel Mm -hmm. but for the child they have no idea who you are. They, you know, these are, you know, Alex was two, so very young. Imagine having a sleepover at someone's house at that age is scary, let alone moving into someone's house, right? It it is terrifying for a child. So they teach you things like what to say and how to say it in that moment. So, you know, very profound things that, like, you get down to their level you don't give them a hug or don't reach out because you don't know their history oftentimes. Mm-hmm. So you don't know if there was like some physical um, abuse or abuse something. at that time. And so you just get down. To, and you also, you never expect anything from the child. Right. You never ask anything of the child, I think is the way they say it. You never mm-hmm. ask anything of them until they are ready to give it. So asking for a hug is asking something of them that they may not be prepared to give. Mm -hmm. So you get down to their level and you just very calmly say, we're here to keep you safe. We're here to take care of you. You're going to be safe here. Because the only thing that child needs to hear is that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yep. I should have warned warned everybody that I'm probably going to cry on this episode. (laughs) (laughs) Get teary eyed. It's pretty emotional to think about. Yeah, it is. So you do the classes. Um, now the, the classes, some of them are done online and some of them are done in person. So not all of them are. We had 13 weeks of in-person classes. Um, and now I know some of them are delivered online. I don't know if it's half or, you know, something. But I think that that's, that's okay for some of them. I, I think they need to be in person for a number of them, though. I think yeah. you need to be able to ask questions and have a dialogue. And there were so many physical activities that they do that to demonstrate how the child feels and that sort of thing that I think it's really powerful to do it in person. It was really powerful and profound. And I, and I couldn't imagine, you know, there's the the commitment part and sure we could have been home and doing online at our leisure and that kind of stuff. But the, the real impact or the feeling, the profoundness of the impact that you, whatever your choices have on that kid or is, is very important to have, I think. Yep. I agree. And like you're, you're doing it with your agency. So 
the your specialist is there. Um, so at our agency, every couple's assigned a specific specialist, adoption specialist. So that's your, sort of like your point of contact. They're also the one that's going to get to know you best and complete all your paperwork and do your interviews and all of that. Mm-hmm. Um, and so if your specialist is there, you can ask questions. You know, do I include this in the paperwork? Are you guys looking for this? Or you know, just questions in general. Um, so I think that that's really helpful too. Yeah. So, um, during that time, you're also receiving paperwork. You know all the paperwork. You got all the checklists, and you can start preparing your home and preparing the documentation. I remember feeling. I don't know if you remember feeling this way because we were one of the only couples there with a biological daughter who was one and a half at the time. She was one and a half yeah, at the time. Pretty much, yeah. Um, yeah, maybe even like one, I don't remember. We'll have to kind of do the math on that, yeah. but it doesn't really matter. She was young yeah. <laughs> and, uh, I, I felt like we were so behind compared to everybody else. Yeah. Like we, we were in survival mode just for having a barely 18 month old pretty much. Right. Yes. Let alone like all the paperwork and all the work on the house. And we would come in, you know, you would chat with all the other couples and get to know them really well. And they'd come in and like, oh, we got this done and this done and this done. And I'm like, oh my God, we haven't done any of that, (laughs) you know? Yeah. Um, But uh, so then once the classes are done or at any time you can turn in your paperwork, which we'll talk about in just a second, like what that was all about. At this point, there was a massive questionnaire. Do you remember that? Oh, yeah. How many pages do you think that questionnaire was? Gosh, I don't know. I was thinking... 10 to 15 at least. Yeah. And I would say 10 to 15, and that's before you put in your answers yeah, on the form. Yeah, yeah, And these are not, like, simple answers. You know, yeah. it's things about your childhood and what's your view on discipline and tell a story or tell an example of a time when you felt loved and, like, mm-hmm. just really deep, deep questions yeah. that, you you know, you can't, you can't answer it quickly. Right. I would say. And I will also say, if you remember, this form was terrible in the formatting. Oh, yeah. Do you remember yes. that? Oh, Typical was... government form, basically, <laughs> is what it was. It was so brutal where you could, like, kind of type it in, but the spots where you needed to type, you couldn't really type. Yeah. And, oh, yeah. it was horrible. Yes. Um, so there was also, at that point, documentation that we had to submit with the questionnaire. So, like, driver's license, but also things like the... Um, rabies vaccine for our pets. Yeah. Remember? And yeah. you had to have your dogs licensed by the state, which technically you're supposed to anyway, but I would say, you know, there's, it's often not that big of a deal, but when you are wanting to adopt from foster care, it becomes a big deal. Yeah. Yep. Um, we also had to do fingerprinting and CPR classes. Mm-hmm. Um and again, prepare the house, which we'll talk about that in just a second. Yep. We'll go through all the numbers of these things in a little bit. Mm-hmm. Uh, once you submit your paperwork, you then do your what's called the home study, which is really like interviews, if you will. They come into your home. This is your adoption specialist. Comes into your home and really wants to make sure, I would say, that you are well-equipped based on your experiences. Mm-hmm. So if you come from a parent who experienced addiction then they really will dive in deeply to your views on that. Because if you get a child, let's say, who's, you know, was given up for adoption because of addiction, how will you talk about that with your child? So if you 
are angry about it or hold a lot of resentment and that kind of thing, and you say that to your child, you're essentially talking about that child's parents, mm-hmm. you know? And so they really want to make sure that you, it feels like a, like therapy a yeah, lot of sure. the time. Yeah, I, it was, yeah. I, yeah. I think it was, part of that too was also, you know, we all have different experiences growing up and in our minds they can be a negative experience, you know, to a very toxic experience, but it they really wanted us to frame the, all of our past experiences and how is that going to be a strength. Yes. And that was that was really eye-opening, I think, for both of us because we mm-hmm. both had very different, you know, ch- childhoods growing up. Um, and you we could have easily thought, oh, man, this is, they're, they're not going to want us because of this experience I had. We're not well-equipped enough, but you know, thinking of how that experience as a strength was very powerful. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, So I would say that those sessions were long, but also really helpful, really helpful. I mean, I think that it just helped us to understand the role we're going to play for a child and how to frame it and all that kind of stuff. And then you also, they schedule you for your home inspection. So the home inspection is done by somebody other than your adoption specialist. Typically, it's a person at Department of Child Services that um, that's their role is really just to go to Mm -hmm. homes and do the inspection for safety is essentially what it's about. So, um, and we'll talk about kind of the things we had to pay for in that process, but Mm -hmm. Um, so it took us from the introductory class through the 13 weeks of classes till the time we actually got on the registry, which meant we were approved for adoption. So we have passed all of those requirements. It took us six months. Mm-hmm. Okay. And I think, too, did we, from that intro- introductory class, how much time passed be- t- until we started a class? Was it? It was it, like two months. Um, two months. So. Yeah, it was like six to eight weeks or something. Yeah, sounds right. And they were doing them all the time, and we we were just waiting for one that I think fit our schedule, or you weren't we weren't and traveling and yeah. the location and that sort of thing. Yeah. So we maybe could have started one sooner, but it just didn't fit in our schedule. We were already planning to be out of town or something yeah. like that. So that might be easier or faster for some folks, mm-hmm. um, or slower, or slower. Right? Yeah, it depends on the state. Yeah, it, yeah. absolutely. Um, so let's see. Be so from there, you're on the registry. And being on the registry in Arizona um, essentially means that all of your preferences, um, you've indicated those, which is a very bizarre yeah, process. Yeah, that was weird. It was hard. Oh, Because they, you know, pre- even preferences is such a weird word, but you're, you're, you're looking through at least like four or five pages front to back of things, conditions, behaviors that you are okay with a kid having or not okay with a kid having in yeah. your house. And, you know, it's physical conditions and would you be okay accepting a blind or a deaf child? And we're, we're like, for those kind of things, we're like, well, sure. Yeah. Why not? You know, I've learned, we'd love to learn sign language or whatever. And we were, for those two specifically, we were surprised that our specialist said, oh, really? Because not many people actually choose those. And that was really a sad moment to think that that was something that somebody would exclude. Right. Yeah. And I do think, you know, they... What they told us that whole time is what you're saying is not that you couldn't love a child that has a condition. It's whether or not you feel as if you are the best equipped Mm -hmm. for that child. So, you know, for us, um, 
we felt like that those were some things that we could tackle that we said, okay, this is, do I have, do I know how we would do that now? Do we have all those answers? Do we know sign language? Do we have absolutely not, but would we give it everything we could to learn all of that for the better? Mm-hmm. Yes. But I do understand that maybe some couples would say, no, we're, we're, that's just not something totally. we're game for. And they, I would say our specialist and our agency who we do love really said, do not feel badly about that. Mm -hmm. You really want to be honest with yourself. You've got to own the fact that like you are great for some kids and not great for others. And this is the time when you get to like really identify what that is. Yeah. Um, Because if you get a kid in your home and you're like, yeah, we could probably handle that when you're wishy-washy and you probably shouldn't be mm -hmm. selecting that as something as a preference, then then that's just a chance for disruption. So they want to eliminate that as much as possible. And we, because we had Carmen... We were in a unique position because we also had to think about her. So it was like, yes, we, you and I, are open to that. But what is best for Carmen? So, you know, some of those behaviors are, you know, abusive behavior, physically abusive. You know, a child that hits or bites or Mm -hmm. kicks or, you know, throws things or whatever. And... You know, it's tough because these things are on a spectrum, right? right like, right. T- show me a toddler that doesn't, like, kick or hit or bite right, at exactly. some point, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, So it's tough because you're kind of like, well, is it, like, a true behavioral, like, issue that they're doing this and they need therapy? Or is it, like, just a corrective type of thing? Mm-hmm. Um, and I can tell you that the questionnaire doesn't ask you for the spectrum, right? right? It, yeah. you, it's yes or no. Yes or no. Very black and white. Um, and that's really, really tough. Mm-hmm. So, um, And the hard part about that is that, that the more, uh, I'm, I'm going to say restrictions that you put on, but that's not the right word, but the, the more preferences that you have, the likelihood of getting a child. So say, you know, you're very particular and yes, I don't want this type of behavior. I don't want this. I, I only want a child with you know, certain race or, or I only want a little boy and they only can be six months or younger. The more restrictions that you have on there, the less likely you're going to get a quick adoption. You know, you're right. going to be waiting and waiting and waiting. So you have, really have to balance what you are okay and you feel is appropriate that you can uh, manage and your, the availability and your timeline and your availability. Yeah. So, yeah, excellent segue because the registry is essentially like a database yeah. and it says your name and it says what your preferences are. And so let's say a child becomes available what happens is they go to the registry and they find uh, families that match those uh, preferences, if you will. It yeah. sounds so weird. It's like a grocery list, but it's a human. You know, yeah. it's just so. And I remember you and I working through that list. And like you said, it's four or five pages, single space, two columns front and back. Yeah. Like it is long. Mm-hmm. And you just have to, in in one sense, you're balancing disconnecting from the fact that it's a human that you're right. talking about. In the other sense, you're constantly reminding yourself that it's a human being that you're talking about. <laughs> yeah. So it's this really weird balance, yeah, you know? Um, so the, and then let's talk. So we were on the registry for one year before we were chosen. So from mm-hmm. October to October, once you're on the registry, you really have no idea. And from there, it does feel a little bit like a total, luck or faith or you yeah. know the stars aligning whatever you want to say it really is at that point you are just waiting it's yeah. a total waiting game which is so hard because you can't put your life on hold so we were you know we travel a lot for work so we had things booked we had you know trips planned 
And if you get that call right before you're about to leave, you have to respond in whatever yeah. way feels best yeah. for you, which is exactly what happened to us. We'll talk about that in a minute. Yeah, but, of course. Um, so, um, because you don't know how long it can take, and some people wait years, you know? And so yeah. you can't say, well, we're, we're going to put our life on hold while we're waiting because mm-hmm. you don't know how long it's going to take. Mm-hmm. Um, so the there's three different ways that you can be on the registry, and I want to talk about this really quickly because I'm assuming this is very similar for most states, and this was something that I did not know before we adopted mm-hmm. or even went down the path. So there's three different types. You can... Foster only, okay, which means you are there to provide temporary safe home for a child, but you don't plan to adopt them. If they become legally free for adoption, your job as a foster parent is to transition them into their forever home, Mm -hmm. right? So you are there while maybe they are like just removed from their home, um, just removed from their biological parents. But they're in the court system. So in Arizona, reunification of a child with a biological parent is always the number one goal. And they're very clear about that. They always want to try and reunify first. So that's where the parent might have to go to um, uh, addiction classes or go, you know, anger management or any sorts of things, right? Mm -hmm. Um, Rehab. That's what I was trying to say. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, And if that parent follows through on all those things, a foster child will go back, Mm -hmm. right, is the idea. And so you are fostering um, during that time. You can also be foster to adopt. So which means you are fostering if you need to, and if that child gets to go back home, they get to go back home. But if you, if that child comes up for adoption, so the parents don't follow through on the requirements or something like that, and the child they say we're no longer pursuing re- reunification. We're now going down the path of adoption. Mm-hmm. Um, that is when the child could become legally free. So s- the parental rights are severed and you can uh, choose to adopt that child. So I will say that you can be foster only. And even as a foster parent, you're likely going to sort of have rights of refusal, if you will, which is weird mm-hmm. to say, but like the. the caseworker for that child will likely come to you and say, do you want to adopt this child first? Like, even if you said you were foster only, they're probably going to ask you first because that the child's in your home and transitioned and all of that. So foster to adopt or adoption only. And this is where I did not know adoption only was an option. Mm -hmm. So we were adoption only. And what that meant is we were only open to a child whose parental rights were already severed. Mm -hmm. The reality there that we knew was that we likely would not get a newborn. We wouldn't get a baby because it takes a while for that entire process to happen for the parental rights to be severed. And so a child would likely be in a foster with a foster family during that time. And then we would be considered, we knew that that very much narrowed our options. Like we would not be considered for quite a few children. Um, But I think for us, and this was something that our agency really helped us answer was, are you looking to provide a stable temporary home for a child? Or are you looking to grow your family permanently? Mm -hmm. And we were 100% looking to grow our family permanently. You know, we wanted a son or a daughter, We wanted Carmen to have a sibling. Like, this was something that emotionally I didn't even know if I could handle 
fostering only and like going through that whole process right. of giving a child back and right. Yeah, me neither. That's, I feared that I would we... run to Mexico or something. I don't know. <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> um, what about you? What did you? What do you think of those three? Anything else about those three types? No, I, I think that was no. I think you've explained it really well. Okay. Yeah. Um, and so we were number three. Um, typically, what happens with foster only or foster to adopt? That's where you're going to get a child very quickly. Like a child gets removed from a home, you get a call at eleven o'clock at night, and a caseworker's over on your on their way. You know nothing about that child because mm-hmm. oftentimes the caseworker knows nothing about that child. Yeah. You know, um, and. With adoption only, we at least knew some stuff. We didn't know it in the first week that we had yeah. Alex, but which we'll talk about in a second. But we did, uh, you know, he was in the system for a while, yeah. I guess you could say, yeah. right? Yeah. Um, and he, he was, parental rights were already legally severed. The only other thing I do want to say in Arizona that might be unique, I'm not sure, so it's a question to kind of consider for your state, is in Arizona, a foster parent acts as a mentor mm. to the biological parents in a lot of cases. There are some that are very hostile situations where the parent, biological parent is not okay with what's happening, and so you don't have any communication with them, and you talk only through the caseworker. Yeah. But in some cases, and I would say hopefully in more of them than not, you are acting as sort of like a parenting coach to that biological parent of like, here's the things I do. Cause a lot of times these are, uh, family tree problems, right. you know? So it's been going on generation after generation and that parent just doesn't know what they don't know. Right. Sort of thing. And so you're trying to help them. Yeah. Sort of thing. You see the simple stuff that, of, you know, schedule and how to take care of kids. Yeah, you know, exactly. How to be a parent. Um, so that might be something that you want to consider. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, like I said, we were number three, adoption only. So, typically what happens for adoption only, what we were told happens for adoption only, the process, right, which did not happen for us. But in a lot of the cases, um, a child comes up for adoption or the parental rights are being severed. So, they're going to go and look for a forever home for this child. They go to the registry. They are going to narrow down that registry to like five to seven families, I would say. And the adoption specialist at the agency is contacted and, and told your one of your parents is being considered. Mm-hmm. And um, you usually know about that at the time. You, you're told, like, hey, you're being considered. And you just try not to get your hopes up and right. all of that, right? And just start planning and you think you have children. You know yeah. what I mean? That yeah. you haven't really gotten yet, yes. you know? Which did happen to us once. Mm-hmm. Uh, we were being considered for two little boys, right? Yep. And we knew their names, and I think we spent about 24 or 48 hours just talking about them and, you know, figuring yeah. out room, you know. Strategizing. Strategizing, yeah. and then, you know, we weren't chosen at the end yeah. of the day, which I believe everything happens for a reason. Definitely. At the time, it was heartbreaking, Yeah. you know. Yeah. Um, you definitely have to temper your expectations about and not get too excited about anything, unfortunately. You know, that there was that case where we were like, oh, this could really happen, um, yeah. and it didn't. And, it you know, we, it was very sad, but I think we, were, we had our expectations not so high. Yes. The other thing that, you know, for expectations-wise that we really had to temper was... Our, the director of our agency, and everybody in there was like, you guys 
are going to get a kid so fast. Like, right? Like, <laughs> yeah, they, oh, they were talking yeah. us up, like, you're going to get one in no time, and you're such a great family, and we like you so much. And and that really set the bar really high for us. And then after a year of waiting, we were like, well, what's wrong? Yeah. Like, did we, were we so too exclusive about what we wanted? It just made us really question. And it was just normal time. They yeah. said it was a year to year and a half is how long it takes on average. And right. we had our expectations at way too high. And it wasn't, we weren't like worried about it, but it was just like, huh, huh. okay, what, that's what's going on. And I think about the fact that like, think about, our, the adoption agency knew us and knew, I mean, they knew everything about us. They know more about us than our friends do, I think, yeah. you know, because of those interviews and stuff. Totally. And, and, but what the placement center or the caseworkers see is a database on a computer. Yeah. They don't know us from anybody else. They're not seeing anything about us. They're seeing a spreadsheet oftentimes, yeah. you know, and that's why it's such a fluke thing. I do think so. Right. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I mean it was it was crazy. So typically, what happens? You get you get on the short list. Your specialist tells you you're on the short list, and they um, your specialist actually goes to a meeting with the caseworker and the other adoption specialists for the other families who are on the short list. And your adoption specialist job is to sell you to the caseworker as the best fit for the child. What a bizarre process! Yeah. yeah. So crazy. Yeah. And so and it's so different than how I think we all even think of adoption, and I would assume that most states, hopefully, is this way, compared to I mean, every adoption movie that you've seen in the past, Annie and just all these old ways of where you think, oh, we're gonna go to an orphanage. Yeah. And pick a kid. <laughs> and we get you know, as parents get to pick which kid that we get. And that just doesn't really happen anymore right. because it's so child-centered, which is the best thing the way that it Absolutely. should be. So that, that was very, yep. uh, w- a weird uh, thing. Yes. So you, your adoption spe- specialist, this is why it's so important that your adoption specialist knows you and you have to put so much trust in that person mm-hmm. to do a good job and to do, do their job well and be able to talk about you to this caseworker. And if they don't know anything about you or if they have such a huge parent load that they're like, wait, I don't, sorry, just kidding. He's not in that profession. I got him wrong with, I got him confused with somebody else. Like that would just look so bad, yeah. you know? Yeah, really. And they also need to be really child focused because they really have to look at the paperwork for the child because oftentimes the specialist is only getting a file, mm-hmm. you know, and be able to take enough from that paperwork to say, this is why my family is best for them and make that point to the caseworker. Yeah. So from there, um, if you're not chosen, you find out, which was what happened to us. If you, and it can take 48 hours, it can take weeks mm-hmm. for that process to happen, you know, just depending on the caseworker and what their load is exactly. and what is happening with the case itself with the court system, yeah. you know? So you, there's a lot of limbo. There's a lot of like rush, 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 wait, 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 mm-hmm. rush, 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 wait, wait, wait. Um, and that was, I think a big part of it. Cause you, we would get a call like with those two boys, yeah. you know, which is a normal day for us, probably a Tuesday or something random. And we're just, all of a sudden we get a call. Do you want to be considered for these two boys? We have to drop what you're doing. Because you have to have serious conversations. You have to be able to say, like, we need to postpone life for today because we need to discuss this. We need to know, is this what we want to do? This is a big deal. And you have a very short window to consider it. Yeah. But... And you, I mean, just imagine that you're going from having one 
two-year-old, basically, mm-hmm. to in 24 hours, you could have three kids <laughs> that are under five. Yeah. You know, with, with minimal time to prepare. It's not like you have a baby yeah, and you, you have, have nine, nine months. You can nest. You yeah. can nest. You can prepare. You can plan. Because I we didn't have a, a bed yet. Right. We, so... I mean, you ha- you have a room, and I think yeah. you're supposed to have... We had a twin bed Wait, that was just kind of in there exactly. as a placeholder. Because you have to have that to pass your home yeah. inspection. You and have to have, like, a space for a child to yeah. sleep, but, yeah. So you, you're minimally prepared, but then once you get that call, you're like, wow, we can sprint, s- yeah. sprint and we didn't... You know, you have to get a bunch of stuff that you don't even think you need it because you don't know. Yeah. You don't know what size of car seat to get. Right. You know, you have to have one. You don't know what size because yeah. you could be getting a seven-year-old. You know, you don't know. Exactly. So, anyway. We were, so for us, we were open to uh, a sibling group, which is why mm-hmm. we could have gone from one child having Carmen to three overnight because yeah. uh, we were open to two children at one time. Uh, we were, our preference was four or younger, boy or girl, any ethnicity, um, and then again, all the other preferences, the pages and pages and pages that we had to do. Yeah. Uh, I don't even remember what we put for some of those, but, um, so, so typically, and then what happens is if you're chosen, you then get the file, you get to read more about the child. So I bet till that point, you know, not a lot, right? You just know you're being considered and then you get the file and you then have 24 hours to tell them, yes, I want this child or no, we don't, yeah. you know? And if you say yes, you then get to see a picture of the child. Yeah. So you don't even get a picture of the child until after that 24-hour window when you've recommitted yep. to move forward. Um, so, And then from there, the process of transition can begin. And it's different for everybody. So typically, in our case, since we were adoption only, what they told us to expect is that this child's likely in foster care with another family, and we would work with them to help that child transition. So maybe they would just come over to our house for a few hours one day, and then they the next day maybe they would spend the whole day, and then they would do a sleepover. And like slowly start to transition from the foster home into our home and it would be could take a few weeks uh that is not what happened (laughs) not at all so why don't you tell them what happened since you got the call yeah i got a call and um it was do you remember what time it was it was like 12 like noon or Mm -hmm. something like that it was right around lunchtime and i got a call and it was from a, a gentleman and i could not understand what he was saying and and I thought it was a spam call, and I literally almost hung up. God, I'm so glad you did. Yeah, could you imagine? Oh my gosh! So I literally almost hung up, and then I then I started to put the pieces together of what he had said, and he had said something to the effect of, like, "Hey, this is so and so from so and so," and I didn't even think about anything because you get a call like that, and you're like, "Oh, this is total totally a spam." Yeah. And I, do you still have a bed available? We have a child that needs a bed. That's literally <laughs> what he said. <laughs> And it was like... Oh, it makes me laugh every yeah, time. Yeah, and, and it's... I think the other expectation that you have to have, getting off tangent a little bit, but that unfortunately the people that work in this in the state for this type of stuff are really desensitized to the personal aspect of what is actually happening. Yeah. He should have said, we have a child that is available for adoption. Yes. Are you... Would you like to be considered? Are you available? All this kind of stuff. But he was just worried about asking if we had a bed available. Yes. And it was, and our situation was a little bit different, so maybe he wasn't quite clued into exactly what was happening. 
But I was like, oh, wait, what are you asking? Do you, are you saying, you know, basically I had to get clarification. I said, hold on, let me get my wife. Because if you're saying what I think you're trying to tell me, like a normal human being would talk to me when you're giving away a kid, then let me talk to my wife. So we talked about it and we finally got some more information. And we said, yeah, we're ready. So when are you thinking? He's like, yeah, how about like three hours? Mm-hmm. Like is really what it was. Well, he said, when when can we drop him when off? When can we drop him off? Yeah, and then, then it was ex- escalated so quickly. And I said, today? Question, yeah. Like question yes. mark, like today? And he's like, yeah, today. So I think the thing to know about this situation is typically what should have happened is our case or our specialist calls us. Yeah. That's, that was another weird thing why I wasn't thinking of that it was a, the call is that normally it would have been our specialist contacting us first. Exactly. So she never, she never said anything, but she no. didn't know. So yeah. it, this was a unique situation because this was an emergency placement, it's called. Mm-hmm. So um, the for Alex, his parental rights were already severed, um, and he was removed from a kinship placement, which means another family member. Yep. And so they were immediately looking for an adoption-only family. And... So he was essentially at the placement center. You can imagine like a little boy sitting at a placement center, right? Just breaks my heart. And so they're just trying to find, and so the uh, home, and so the placement center is just calling where typically what happens is they go to the registry, they contact the adoption specialist, all of that. None of that happened. We were contacted directly by the placement center. And uh, again, like you were saying, so desensitized. Do you have a bed available? Uh, what? Huh? Excuse me? What are you, you know, like just so random, Yeah. you know, like I didn't think we put a bet on Craigslist, Michael, what are you talking about? You know? (laughs) Um, and so, uh, I think it was three or four hours later that Alex moved in. Yeah. Right. So I ran to target really fast and got things like a sippy cup and a toy Mm -hmm. and a toy for Carmen to say, Hey, you're getting a brother by the way. Um, pajamas. Remember pajamas? Because yeah. we were like, what does he have? A couple clothes. But this is where we knew his age. But we didn't know how big, how little. Like, you know, we knew nothing yeah, about sure. him. Do you remember that? Yeah. And then th- I think they told us he was two. Mm-hmm. And so we went and bought. And I think my parents, you know, drove right over. And they probably stopped and got some clothes for him, yeah. too. So, But we had bought 2T clothes. But he is... So skinny. Oh yeah, that he's a little he, dude. Is, but uh, that two T clothes were not would just fall right off of him, yeah. even though he's two. So we we barely had any clothes for him for a day. Then we figured out oh he needs eighteen, 18 month months, clothes. twelve months to eighteen month yeah. clothes. Yeah, um, and so let's see what else happened. So he moved in that day and. Do you remember that? Do you remember barely. that? Barely. So a lady comes oh, over. Yeah. Mind you, this is just a super significant time of our life. And this lady comes over with him and we're showing him the playroom and we're trying to get him comfortable with the toys and all that kind of stuff. Just figured that was like where we took him first. Right. Yeah. And I'm trying to ask her questions about him. Yeah, Cause about mind him. you, we know nothing about him at this point. We yeah. didn't know his last name. We didn't know his middle name. We just knew his first name, but we didn't know if Alex was like short for Alexander. Yeah. Like we knew nothing. Didn't know if he had any allergies, no food allergies. Yeah. That night you had a I, panic attack. I sat, I was feeding him and Carmen a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. And I remember like seeing him take that first bite and I just gasped, like just stood there in shock of like, oh my God, what if he has a peanut allergy? We knew yeah. nothing. So I'm asking this lady who dropped, some, dropped him off, you know, 
so tell me about, she knew nothing. She's like, oh, I'm just a volunteer. I met him three minutes ago. And she was like, again, very just desensitized to the fact of what was going on. I think we had to sign something. It was like a delivery. Yeah. Right. It was like a UPS guy. And, and, you know, (laughs) didn't check ID. She just knew it was the right address. It was just a very transactional Mm -hmm. thing for a human being, which was crazy. Yeah. And then I think the other really sad part for me, the more that I've thought about it over time at that time, it was just overwhelming and we were just in survival mode, but um, we didn't hear from anybody from like, we did not hear from his caseworker or anybody from DCS for five days, yeah. five days. Yeah. So I think about this boy goes into a home and for five days, no one checks on whether he's okay there, mm-hmm. you know, and luckily he was, yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. um, our adoption specialist came over the very next morning. She was, yeah. she called, I think as soon as. Well, we got off the phone with the placement center and called her right yeah. away. She had no idea. She did not yeah. know that we were chosen. She didn't know anything. And and then she called later that night. She called. She stopped by the very next morning with a whole bunch of stuff. Do you remember? Like a oh, gift yeah. and clothes and all and that stuff kind of stuff. Stuff for him and Carmen, too. Stuff for him and Carmen. Backpacks was, and toys. and Yeah, which was wonderful. Was so cool. nice. And then she just kept checking in. I think every... Well, then from there, every week, someone's in your home, right. essentially. So, um, and then there were caseworkers there every month. So that's mm-hmm. good for the first six months, essentially, uh, which is great. It's considered like a trial period. So in Arizona, you even if you're adoption only, which we were, once you are placed with a child, you are their foster parent for the first six months. Mm-hmm. And during those six months, you know, you're getting visited by a million and one people <laughs> um, and really just transitioning, trying to get to know each other and yeah. all of that. And then after six months, you can formally adopt the child. Yeah. So, but that six months is really meant to act as a trial period and transition period and all of that. And I do, I, you know, I support that idea for mm-hmm. sure. Um, I think that it's really important. So, um, let's see. So let's talk about the financial part of yeah. some of this. So during the process of getting approved for adoption, we had to pay for some things. Mm-hmm. Uh, we had, to put in a pool fence, which we would have put in a pool fence anyway. Mm-hmm. So with Carmen, that was one of those things that I was obsessed about was yeah, a pool fence. Totally. So, oh, go ahead. Well, I was gonna, you know, the other big thing is that you have we had to pay a deposit basically mm-hmm. to apply for all the classes through our agency, right? So yes. that's a big upfront cost when you're starting the adoption process is the lessons. And it was a six eight hundred eight hundred dollars. It's $800. It is refundable. So once you adopt, they give you your $800 back. But the idea is, and I do think that's one way to prove that you're committed. It's how they cover their costs. And so they don't want to go through all of this because there's a lot of material they give you. Mm -hmm. I mean, binders of material. And the idea is they don't want to give you all of that and pay their staff to have, you know, go through the process with you and all of that and then have you just change your mind. So the idea is as long as you continue, you get your $800 back, which we did. Um, So the pool fence, one thing to keep in mind if you are considering getting a pool fence uh, and you are thinking about adoption at some point, it likely has to have certain uh, technical Dimensions. dimensions and all of that. So like whether it's four feet high or five feet high and that kind of thing. So just make sure you don't put in a pool fence and then have to like change it later if you don't do it right. So um, pool safety equipment. So we needed to have the life. We needed the uh, ring, a safety ring ring, and then a life. Yeah. And then a hook. Mm -hmm. So the stuff that they have in like pools, like Mm -hmm. in in your public pool, your high school pool, whatever, 
Um, and I estimated that we spent $200 on that stuff. Yeah, that's probably right. Because we had to buy a couple. Because um, they got yucky in the Arizona heat and the sun in the summer. So, yeah. but uh, We had to buy a cabinet for the garage and a cabinet for our laundry room. Which, if I'm being that honest... Lock, that to lock. Exactly. Because they had to have like an actual... Any chemicals need to be locked up in your home. So, like laundry detergent, like the laundry pods, the you know bleach, you know all of that. Mm-hmm. We just had it on a shelf. And Even medication. Medication, cleaning supplies... Um, you know, all of that stuff that, you know, we were keeping in the garage and in our laundry room, just on shelves, we needed to have a cabinet that locked, which Mm -hmm. honestly, I love having a cabinet with doors that's, everything's hidden. So it's great. Um, and you know, of course that varies by price. You can find it on Craigslist. I think we got our laundry room cabinet from Ikea and then the garage one from Lowe's or Home Depot or something. So, and then you can get the... Uh, aftermarket locks, if you will, that are like magnets and stuff. So we just... For kitchen cabinets. For kitchen cabinets and uh, bathroom cabinets and that kind of stuff. Yep. Uh, Fire extinguishers. Mm -hmm. uh, Carbon monoxide detectors. Uh, We needed, because we have a two-story home, you need to have safety ladders that you can put outside of the windows upstairs. So like if there's a fire or something, the ones that are like the rope ladders that hang on the... Door and I want to say those were like forty bucks each or something from Amazon. Yeah, so yeah. Um, we had to pay for fingerprinting cards, and we also had to pay for CPR certification, and then the eight hundred dollar home study. Yep. So I think that was about it. So it really, and then we had to pay for a babysitter for Carmen during those thirteen weeks of classes. So if you have a child, that might be another expense, but I mean, it's not that big of a deal. Um, and in Arizona, how is is this stuff deductible in your taxes? Yes, it is. So in the, you, from what I understand, uh, you put it on your return in the year that you pay for it, but then it's deductible in the year you adopt, Uh. but you have to like report it in the year you pay for it. So it's definitely one of those things you want to make sure your accountant's aware and talk with them and all of that. Um, and I think it's a tax credit, not deductible, but, um, and that, I don't know if that's different now compared to when we adopted and that kind of thing, Mm -hmm. but. So the first six months that we were Alex's foster parents, uh, the expenses that the state paid for at the time were all of his childcare, so daycare essentially, and all of his health insurance and medical expenses. So if there were co-pays or if he needed, uh, what's that mask called that helps him? Uh, albuterol, uh, um, atomizer. Okay. Oh my God. I don't know. Okay. The little thing that he puts on it helps helps him breathe and that kind of thing. for asthma. For asthma, yeah. Um, you know, we didn't have to pay for any of that. So no medical expenses were out of pocket. And we did physical therapy and uh, OT and all sorts of stuff. And all of that was paid for. Um, like I said, all of his daycare was paid for. Also, because he was considered a foster child at that time, we, we were able to apply for grants. So we got him in gymnastics and swimming lessons and that kind of thing. And we would have paid for it anyway, but I did apply for grants and got all of it paid for during those six months, which was awesome. Yeah. So always be looking out for your local resources that support foster and adoption because there are plenty of charities and nonprofits that you know you can go and pick out clothes for them, and they mm-hmm. just have a, a basically a store, and the kid gets a backpack, and they get to select all their own stuff. And there's tons of resources to to help you. Um, just make it e- make it easier on you and the kid. Yep, and you can take a uh, child safety class through the local police station typically, and they give you a um, 
car seat yeah. included in that, and it's free to attend, wasn't it? Yeah, it was and then free. also you get a child uh, uh, car seat yeah. for free. And, and we we each got a car seat. Yeah. And so we selected one that was like for infants to. I don't know, before you get a booster. Yeah. And then we got a booster. Right, right, right. Exactly. So we each walked away with one, which I was impressed. Um, Just keep in mind that that class is usually for people who... (laughs) Yeah. uh, How do I say this? They got busted by a cop because their kid wasn't wearing a seatbelt. Not wearing a seatbelt or not in a car car seat seat. or something when they were driving. So it's sort of like... Uh, the messaging behind that is uh, is very stern and that kind of yeah. thing. But, I mean, it was like an hour or something, yeah, two hours. Or it was easy. super fast yeah. and easy. And, and we, I did learn a lot totally. as far as, like, why the requirements for, you know, car seats and stuff exist, which yeah. I didn't know before. Yeah. So it was, it was really good. Um, and you get free car seats. So, um, and during that time, you also receive a stipend. So we received about, it's it's a, actually a daily stipend, and it, let's say it's like $21 a day, and I'm sure this is state-specific, so you'll want to check, but, um, and it also depends on the needs of the child. So we were level one, which meant it was like the basic, you know, so if you have a child with very high needs, this can go up, you know, there's multiple levels. So we were level one. So I think it was like 20 bucks a day. So whether it's 30 days in a month or 31, it can fluctuate, but it's around $600 a month is what you get during this time. And, um, that is, you fill out a form and it comes, gets direct deposit right into your checking account. Uh, and it can be used for anything that you want really. So there's nobody verifies like, where does that money go or anything like that? So, uh, we, after six months, we adopted Alex, um, officially adopted him. In Arizona, you um, can continue to receive the stipend even after you've adopted. So technically, this is considered on a needs basis, but I do believe we live in a state where chances are they consider anybody in foster care Mm-hmm. I need special needs, yeah. special needs, uh, and not special needs, like in a way that most people consider right. special needs, but like just what they've experienced considers them a need. Yeah. So we, even after we adopted Alex from now until he's 18, we will receive a monthly stipend for him. Mm-hmm. And it goes down a little bit. It's like $19 a day. Uh, and again, this is based on need. So like he's still considered level one. So we receive about $600, it's like $592 a month. Um, for Alex. Mm-hmm. Uh, and on his, top of that, mm-hmm. Medicaid, you know. Yeah. And it's the, one of the best Medicaid plans that is available in Arizona. He gets two until he's 18, too, 18. right? So that's a huge help. And that was something that when we had this that informational meeting, we had no idea that that was even uh, available to us after we adopted. So it was like, wow, that makes it, I mean, that's not something we were looking for, mm-hmm. but that makes it like just that much easier on us to, to help him. Absolutely. You know, and be in our family and um, make, just make it easier on us. So that was it was a great surprise that we found that out. Yes. So all of his medical expenses are paid for and we receive that stipend every month. And the reason I like talking about this and I, I really want to spend a little bit of time on it is I think really good people don't know that. Yeah. And if if money is a factor for you. It does help a ton, right? So if you're thinking like I would, I I know that we have a good home, 
I know that we could be good parents, but gosh, how could we afford it? Mm -hmm. Then it does exist. And I think that there's a lot of people who don't want to talk about it because of this idea that you shouldn't go into it for Mm -hmm. money. Exactly. And you absolutely should not. Yeah. Um, But also... That's not the amount of money that's going to make it so that you can like afford all the things that a child has anyway, you know what I mean? But it does help, you know, it really can have just that little, make a little bit of a difference. That's a lot of money. That's a lot of stuff to help. Um, And whether it's just to help with food for your family and adding them, or maybe you don't necessarily need that, but just other stuff for to be saved for his education or anything else, you know, activities, you You know, our kids are still really involved in activities, which is, you know, essentially we, you know, I don't have like a specific, the money comes into our checking account. I don't say like the money goes specifically towards these three things or Mm -hmm. four things. It's just part of our monthly budget and it goes towards all the expenses we have as a family, you know? And, uh, I think it makes, a big difference. It definitely made it easier for me being a planner, being a budgeter, thinking about all of those things and being a business owner, you know, like knowing that for me to provide for a child, I want to provide not just food and shelter, but a lot of other things. Mm -hmm. And knowing that that makes it easier for me to be able to do that and like dive in and that kind of thing makes a big difference. Um, and let's be real. Anybody who says, you know, you're doing it for the money, does not know enough about parenting to (laughs) know that, I mean, there's no amount of money that can make the emotional part of parenting and the mental and energy part easier, Mm -hmm. you know? Um, But it does help so that you can provide for the child in other ways, which I think is amazing because there are complications to it. I mean, there, it is different having one biological child and one not, you know, and especially a child that doesn't look like us Mm -hmm. and the questions we get. And it's, I'm not saying the money makes that part easier, but it certainly, um, is one pro. Definitely. You know, it's one small benefit kind of thing. So, um, and we won't receive that till he's 18. So every year you have to like resubmit paperwork in order to receive that. But we just got the paperwork actually yeah. and it was not hard. No. It was very fast and easy and that kind of thing. Uh, you also get your $800 returned to you, which I was surprised by how fast we got that. It was like within a month after mm, the adoption was no, final. No, no, no. I thought for sure that would be like a long process and it wasn't. It was like an automatic thing. Mm. Um, we ended up donating that right back to the agency. Um, and you don't have to, you can definitely, at that time you're probably spending, I mean, we had to buy bedroom furniture and bedding and clothing and toys for him. I mean, there was so much that happened right away when we adopted him. So, um, you know, you could easily just take that money back. That's okay too. I'm not trying to say you have to donate it. Um, but a lot of the expenses are covered for him. There is a financial benefit for families who, you know, maybe would love to provide a loving home and that makes it easier. Yeah. So I would ask some of those questions about, like, if you go to an informational session, I would ask, you know, what are the financial parts of it? And or I remember feeling yucky asking, yeah. but knowing that I needed to ask, mm-hmm. I, I wanted to know, understand all aspects as best as possible. And the financial aspect of it is one part of it, you know? Yeah. And I remember thinking, this isn't going to make or break my decision. I want you to, t- you to know that. I'm not doing it for this reason, but I do have this question, yeah. you know? And uh, I think it's important to ask those questions Definitely. so that you know, um, especially if it helps move you through the process faster. Yeah. So, Again, anything else? 
I don't think so. I, I think that in Arizona, anyways, you know, of course, I, it's, it's hard to talk about this stuff, and we can talk about our story and, and mm-hmm. the process that we went through, but uh, every state's going to be different, obviously. Um, but the the what we, with what we had to pay for up front mm-hmm. um, was not that much compared to what we're getting back as far as well. First of all, we have a, an awesome, amazing son. Yeah. But then all of the the extra compensation that they provide, which we weren't expecting anyways, um, it's it's such an easy process, especially compared to the tens of thousands you'd have to pay for mm-hmm. uh, an international adoption or fertility. So, you know, I, I just want people to always, if you have a, even a little bit of room in your heart for adoption, like really pursue that and ask the questions that we're asking you to, to ask. And that's going to make it uh, just an easier decision because it's a, it's a great way and the, the horror stories that you hear are such a smaller percentage than I think what we you know actually happens. Mm-hmm. And so don't let one horror story overshadow the what's in your heart. Yeah. I, you know, I love our story. As, as crazy as it was and getting that call and three hours later, having a child move in and all of that and the survival mode we were in, I cannot believe how blessed we are. Yeah. You know, I love our son. So much, and our family feels very complete. Yes. And I want to shout from the rooftops how great the process was, yeah. really and truly, and not easy. No. I don't, very, very hard and challenging, yeah. but also extremely worthwhile, yeah. and it has made me such a better person. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think it's not as dramatic as the horror stories, and yet um, I know that our stories exist. We've got, I have a number of clients who have really positive experiences too. And I think that's why we wanted to tell our story and uh, let you know about the financial, emotional, and also the logistical aspects of uh, adopting through foster care. So we hope you love this episode. Tell us what you think. And uh, if you've got a story to share with us about adoption, we would love to hear it. doesn't matter if it's private or fostering. Please share your story with us just because... um, we know it's a big part of your life, and we want to hear about it. Yeah, go to either um, you know Fiscal Fitness Phoenix on Facebook, and um, uh, just let us know if you have adopted. What the process was? Was it similar to what we went through? What What were your financials like? We We'd really like to know to be able to help other people that are in your same state. Exactly. All right. Thanks, everybody. Thank you. Have a great week. If you would like more information about how we can help you take the stress out of money with one-on-one financial coaching, please check out our website, www.fiscalfitnessphx.com. And please join our private Facebook group by going to facebook.com slash groups slash fiscalfitnessmoney. And if you have a passion for personal finance and are interested in helping others take the stress out of money by becoming a financial coach, check out our financial coach training program at www.financialcoachacademy.com. And join our free Facebook group by searching Facebook for Financial Coaches Unite. We'll see you on the next episode of the Fiscal Fitness Podcast, where we'll help the world take the stress out of money.